Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. I am pleased to be joined by our friend Phyllis Bennis, who is an author, activist, and director of the New Internationalism Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. I, I invited her on just for a brief conversation here about why these Ukrainians cannot seem to win this war. We've already given them almost $115 billion of our tax money. That's just us. That's not including other nations around the world, and they can't seem to win this war. The question is whether or not now is the time to pull the plug, and if so, then what? Phyllis Bennett, good to have you back. How are you today? Very well, Tavis. Great to be with you. Good to have you on. Good to hear your voice. Let me just start with the question I, I posed a moment ago. Why can't the yeah. Ukrainians seem to win this war? I was reading a piece just uh, yesterday, a couple pieces yesterday, in fact, about um, uh, uh, some comments by some of our military generals that they're not waging war in the right way. They have their soldiers in the wrong places, et cetera, et cetera. It was sort of a, one of those in the weeds articles about why they, you know, why they aren't winning. But, but they, again, I think the American people are starting to ask this question now, $115 billion in, why can't they win this thing? You know, I think in a sense, Tavis, it's an understandable question, given the amount of money of our tax money that's going to Ukraine, about two-thirds of which is for the military. There is some, which I would support, that goes for humanitarian purposes as well. But we're somewhere over $70 billion mm -hmm. just this last year and a half that's gone directly to the military. But I think, you know, posing it as why can't the Ukrainians do this kind of implies that if it was our war, we would win it. You know, mm -hmm. the U.S. hasn't done so well winning wars <laughs> around the world. Let's be clear about that. But I think the issue here is the nature of this war. The, the Russians, which, who of course started this war, are dug in it's old-fashioned trench warfare, and essentially a lot of the equipment that the U.S. and others are sending is stuff that requires a long period of training, which the Ukrainians haven't had. It seems to me the Ukrainians have fought very bravely and very well for a nation that <clears throat> has not been at war for a long time and that was, is, had to go to war suddenly, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I think it goes to the, both the, the military part and the fact that the U.S. position, we will provide whatever is needed for as long as it takes, is something that gives the Ukrainian government the ability to keep saying, we're just going to keep fighting whether or not there's any chance to actually win. The positions that the Ukrainians have, have taken for what they would be, what would a peace agreement look like for them, includes a number of perfectly legitimate demands, but things that are not going to be reached without massive levels of negotiations and diplomacy and compromise on all sides. You know, saying that they will not talk about any kind of peace talks until Russia agrees to give back the land they have seized is legal under international law, mm -hmm. but it's not realistic as the basis for certainly a ceasefire. No one is yet willing to talk about even a ceasefire, which doesn't equate to what a final peace agreement would look like. A final peace agreement is going to be very, very complicated. We'll have to in engage with giving back some of the land that Russia has seized, but probably won't involve giving back the Crimea, for example. There's going to be questions about what is the final arrangement. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, it certainly is realistic to say, there should be a call for a ceasefire. Stop the killing. Yeah. Stop the killing. We, we just saw in the headlines yesterday 
of the New York Times, the lead story about the number just of military casualties is up to almost half a million on the two sides, more Russian than Ukrainian. But it's as the Ukrainians have already lost more soldiers in this war of a year and a half than the U.S. lost in all the years it fought in Vietnam. I was going there, and so I'm glad you did. Uh, You are not just brilliant, but you're prophetic and prescient as Mm -hmm. well. That half million mark struck me when I saw that headline, that a half million people soldiers are, are dead that's or injured. Just the soldiers. Exactly. That's not even talking about the civilian casualties exactly. who are in the, in the thousands as well. So we're, we're, so we're talking above a half million people who've been uh, killed or injured, maimed um, in, right. in, in, this, in this process. And that number, in many ways, obviously, is much more striking. Uh, the human casualties much more striking even than the $115 billion. Um, I, exactly. I, I, I take that. And yet, um, when it comes to any other issue, I'm thinking now about our domestic agenda. When it comes to homelessness, when it comes to, I mean, just run the list. Any number of uh, poverty, income inequality, economic immobility, uh, public assistance. I could do this all day long. When it comes to any other issue, politicians both on the left and the right will say without any equivocation or hesitation whatsoever, we don't have a blank check. We don't have an open pocketbook. We don't have an open wallet here. On any other issue, that's the kind of... Uh, response that you get that does not seem to be the response on this issue i'm not naive but tell me why not it's absolutely right and it's on both parties it's across the mainstream media from fox news to the new york times to virtually all of them are supporting the idea of unlimited military support to a war that now even some u.s generals are beginning to whisper they recognize cannot be won militarily like this. The Ukrainian counteroffensive that has been underway now for months is bogged down. The Russians are carrying out an, a kind of old-fashioned trench warfare that something like has led to something like 20% of all these new weapons are now unusable. They've been destroyed, not because they've been attacked by Russia in many cases, but because they've sunk in the mud, they're the wrong kind of weapons for that kind of territory. It simply isn't working. And the dangers, the dangers to have us, you and I talked about that very early in the war, mm-hmm. those dangers have not gone away. The dangers of the impact on the global south in terms of food and fuel scarcity across the world and massive cuts in humanitarian aid because countries are now giving all their money to Ukraine. The massive escalation in militarization of Europe and around the world, in fact, the expansion of NATO with greater U.S. control, looking to greater potential uh, uh, military problems around the world that mm-hmm. are going to emerge as we look at the possibility of a, of a Pacific version of NATO taking place with the U.S. and Japan and South Korea, and the question of nuclear weapons. The danger of a nuclear exchange in this war yeah. remains as grave as it was on day one when Russia illegally mm-hmm. invaded. And we can't simply put that aside and say, well, we can't let Russia use the, their nuclear threats as a, uh, a way of pressuring. Well, the mm-hmm. reality is You have to take that into account. You have to take that into account. And that's why calling for a ceasefire, it's so important that countries in the global south, we saw the leadership of six African countries that that met with both the Ukrainian and Russian leadership. More recently, there's been talk of other combinations of uh, of leaders around the world, the, the dream team perhaps of the leaders of South Africa and Brazil, Lula and Ramaphosa, would be, in my view, a, a potential 
possibility for negotiating terms for a ceasefire. All of these possibilities are out there, but as long as the U.S. and its allies continue to say, we will send all the weapons you need for as long as it takes for as long as you want, Mm. we will fight, they say, to the last Ukrainian. And the result is Ukrainians are dying in these enormous numbers. Mm. And while polls that we hear about say every Ukrainian we talk to says they think they can win and they're going to fight till the last soldier, I'm not sure that in the context of a, a nation at war, and President Zelensky has been brilliant at mobilizing his country to support this war, in that context, I don't know that people are so confident saying to a pollster, whoever they might be, that they're not so sure about this yeah. war anymore. But I imagine there's got to be people in Ukraine that are thinking, all I want is for my children to yeah. be safe. We're if we have to give up a little bit of territory, that's unfortunate and it's illegal and it's a reality. But if it keeps my children safe, I would do that. I think there's more of those voices than we're being allowed to hear. Yeah. When we come forward, I want to I want to probe uh, a bit more of this notion of a ceasefire. Uh, that you've raised a couple of times now, number one. Number two, um, I, I started this conversation by asking, why can't they win this war? The truth of the matter is, almost two years in, I don't know what winning looks like anymore. I don't know what winning means. I'm going to give Phyllis Bennis a chance to sort of unpack or, frankly, critique my use of the word winning uh, at the outset of the, uh, the outset or onset of this conversation. And, and, and it occurs to me, given that we have this presidential uh, debate tonight, Republican debate, first of the season, we're in that, we're in that, we're in that period now where we're headed toward the 2024 presidential race. And I'm wondering if Joe Biden will ultimately play a, pay a price for this because there are more and more Republican voices now, believe it or not, more Republicans saying we need to pull out of this. Now is the time to pull the plug. My sense is that 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 may turn into not just a few voices, but a chorus. If it does turn into a Republican chorus, does Joe Biden pay a price for that? Will he have to back up himself because he's catching heat from Republicans about getting out of Ukraine? Uh, We'll talk about it when we come forward with Phyllis Bennis on Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Phyllis Bennis, um, I want to offer you the opportunity, uh, not that I need to, uh, to, to press you to do this, <laughs> but to, to critique my use of the word winning. Uh, take it away. You know, Tavis, in this context, I think we have to start with the origins of the war. This was a war that was provoked by the U.S. and its allies, but was initiated and carried out illegally by Russia. Both those things are true. This was an illegal invasion. It was not unprovoked. But you can answer provocation in all kinds of ways, and the way the Russians chose to answer it was illegal in this invasion. What we're looking at in terms of who defines what winning looks like. For Ukraine, their requirements are essentially the return of all the land that has been seized by Russia going back to 2014, meaning including the Crimea, for Russia to pay full reparations for the damage done in the war, and for Russian officials to be held accountable in a war crimes trial. Now, according to international law, all those things are absolutely legitimate demands. But the notion that they will not consider a ceasefire until they have achieved that means permanent war. So there's the sense of winning, meaning at least those three things. There's a 10-point plan that Zelensky has put forward about what a peace agreement would look like that outlines all of this in more detail. But it's essentially those three things, the return of all the land, 
Russia paying full reparations and war crimes trials for, for Russian officials. That's, that's something you fight for in negotiations. Mm-hmm. Saying that there's not going to be a ceasefire until we get that is the recipe for permanent war. And unfortunately, the role the U.S. and its allies have played, going back to the conversation that was held by the, the, foreign, the foreign minister of the U.K. at the time, Boris Johnson, on behalf of NATO, uh, going back some months and months to the early stages of the war, when there were negotiations about to go on, it seemed it was going to go forward, and he essentially went and told the Ukrainians, don't negotiate now, we'll provide everything you need for as long as it takes. And that's what started this whole notion that there can be no negotiations Mm -hmm. because there's no reason for them. There's no reason for Ukraine to say, we're prepared to negotiate because the U.S. is behind them saying, we'll provide whatever you want for as long as it takes without defining any limits. Yep. Um, I received that, uh, and I wanted to just give uh, Phyllis a chance to just sort of define what winning looks like for both sides, and she's done that brilliantly. When we come forward in our remaining moments with Phyllis Bennett, we'll talk about the politics, the presidential politics of Joe Biden continuing to write these checks to the Ukrainians. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, 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 this is Tavis Smiley. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 This first debate tonight, Phyllis Bennis, I suspect will uh, feature uh, and focus mostly on domestic policy, but there's always a chance that some international stuff may creep in. And if it does, uh, top of the list, I would assume, would be the war in Ukraine. I I raise that to ask whether or not, as we continue to roll through this presidential election season, the president is going to get squeezed more and more by these Republicans who start raising this uh, chorus that we need to get out of Ukraine. And by get out, I mean, of course, stop writing these blank checks, giving uh, giving Ukraine a blank check. Uh, what's your read of the politics on this? You know, Tavis, I work for a nonprofit, so we, of course, don't take positions on sure. specific candidates. But looking at it analytically, it seems to me that the first critics of the the endless level of military support that was going to Ukraine actually came from mainly Democrats in the uh, Progressive Caucus, Mm -hmm. who felt so much pressure when they did issue a letter to President Biden urging not even an end so far to the military support, but to add to that military support a demand for a ceasefire and start to push for a ceasefire. And they they withdrew that letter, which Mm -hmm. I found an unfortunate reality. We are seeing clearly among Republicans a kind of of partisan approach, similarly saying, only similar in the sense that they're saying that there should be a uh, either a, a diminution or maybe a full halt to the military aid. But I think the big difference when we look at it is the on the Progressive Caucus side, they're linking it to the need for funds for things like jobs and health care and education. Mm-hmm. The Republican side is simply saying, we should stop supporting it because we should stop supporting all our allies. It's a kind of isolationism that is, in fact, quite dangerous, even in a situation where it might lead to a temporary uh, reduction in military assault somewhere, when it's based on the idea that the U.S., which is by far the most powerful and the wealthiest country in the history of the world, that we somehow have no responsibility to the rest of the world, and we only have responsibility to people in this country. Mm-hmm. And for many of them, clearly we only have responsibility for white yeah. country. So it goes pretty far. 
uh, I think we have to be very careful not to assume that because both may promote the same tactic at a given moment, that they somehow come to it from the same vantage point. They clearly don't, and that's very evident when you look at how they talk about this war. In the 90 seconds I have left, and I want to link these two things, whatever pressure Joe Biden is going to be under uh, in the months to come as we move through this presidential election season from Republicans demanding that he stop giving, uh, again, this uh, unlimited aid uh, to the Ukrainians, what would it take right quick for Joe Biden to take more seriously your issue Um, your solution of a ceasefire? You know, I think public opinion, changing things like letters to the editor, call-in radio shows, all those things matter. Uh, Joe Biden is a politician like others who's accountable to the voters as he's looking ahead to this election. He's got to be looking at what are the issues that people care about, and I think the people that are looking for more support. We saw incredible impact of the kind of support from the federal government during the pandemic's first two years, things like the child uh, tax credit Mm -hmm. that led to cutting in half the levels of child poverty in this country. And then suddenly it's over because the two-year period had ended and we claimed that the uh, that the, the pandemic was about to end, and the result is children are dropping back into poverty in huge numbers. Mm-hmm. And when people say, well, we need to re- renew that, we need more money for child, uh, to eliminate child poverty, well, we're spending $70, million, $70 billion, sorry, $70 billion on the military support for Ukraine, and people are saying, well, maybe that's not the best use of those monies. Yeah. Maybe there's another way to keep us safer, like keeping our kids healthy, giving them a decent education, that yeah. that will keep us safer than sending weapons and money to militaries around the world. Yeah, I think that pressure is going to come. Um, it's already started, and we'll see more of it uh, perhaps tonight uh, on this Republican debate stage. For now, Phyllis, we'll leave it there. We'll check back in with you a little bit uh, further down the road to see how this thing is uh, hopefully coming to an end, uh, if not an end, certainly a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. Phyllis, thanks for your time. All the best to you. Sorry to it. Thanks.